Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about a new program that the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services is going to implement. It's called a five-star program, and it's going to be a rating system for dialysis centers. And today, we have Glenda Payne. She's a nephrology nurse. She's been practicing nephrology for over 40 years. She used to work at the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, and she currently is working as a director of Clinical Services for Nephrology Clinical Solutions, a consulting group that provides education, training, and clinical solutions for clients in the nephrology community. So welcome to the show, Glenda. Well, thanks, Lori. I'm glad to be here. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to help um, our listeners understand why CMS is implementing a new five-star program for dialysis providers. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and, and, and what to look for as we navigate the system? Sure. Um, as you know, uh, there's already a public website called Dialysis Facility Compare that provides some information for patients and their families and other interested people to go on and see some information about individual dialysis facilities. And you can actually go to that site and look at any dialysis facility in the country. And the scores, if you will, that are there are expressed in statements like as expected or better than expected or less than expected. Or there might be a percentage, like 94% of their patients get an adequate dialysis treatment. And a number of years ago, CMS implemented a five-star rating system for nursing homes where they used various measures, various quality measures, to indicate whether a nursing home was exceptionally good, which would be five stars, or maybe not good at all, which would be one star. And in between, of course, you had two, three, and four stars. So um, CMS implemented that with nursing homes, as I said, probably five, six years ago, and they believe that it provides easier-to-understand information as far as a rating system than just words like as expected or a percentage for an individual score. So um, CMS has decided to implement this sort of rating system in dialysis clinics uh, in order to provide easier-to-understand information for patients and their families and other concerned individuals. Now, do most centers, you know, dialysis centers, meet the requirements for quality of care um, throughout the country? Because I, I think I saw some data where, like, most, pa- most centers, uh, you know, over, like, 80 to 90% in meeting the quality standards? Well, I think that the problem we have is that there are a lot of different measurement systems, and one of them is called the Quality Incentive Program, and that's also called a QIP or QIP. And that under that system, a facility can lose part of their payment if they don't provide a certain level of quality on measures that have been defined by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. 
And 90% of the facilities in the country meet those quality standards. So only 10% of the facilities of, uh, are faced with a penalty where they could lose as much as 2% of their whole Medicare payment because they didn't meet those quality standards. So if you use that system, then you would say, yes, almost all the facilities meet the quality standards. And that system also requires that the facility post their scores, and they get those scores at the end of each year. So usually in January every year, uh, early in January, the facility will post their scores in the waiting area or somewhere where patients can see it. And they're required by law to do that. So if you're a dialysis patient listening to this, you could certainly look in your facility and ask how your facility did on the QIP or the QIP. Um, Again, they use a set of measures, and it's a little bit different than the set of measures that will be used for the stock rating system. And then another rating system is the survey system, where state surveyors come in and actually inspect the facility to see if they're meeting the basic minimum standards for safety and effectiveness. And so facilities might score uh, very high on the QIP, but yet be cited for, let's say, infection control problems that are not really ranked on the QIP. And then the STAR system, they might get a different score on. So that's kind of the concern the community has, is that there are multiple different systems and one a good score on one system doesn't mean you would get a good score on all of them. Well, I know one of the, the debate questions in the community is that they're rating it on a five-star program. And I know that a lot of consumers believe that if you go, you know, if you go to a three restaurant, it's, you know, it's so-so, but, you know, you might not want to eat there all the time. Everybody wants to go to a four-star or five-star um, restaurant. So, and Yelp doesn't grade like this. They just base it off of true ratings of how people click the number. And so if you're in a three-star facility, basically you're in an average facility. Is that, is that, is that correct? Um, I, I certainly understand um, the need to consider whether a three-star would be an average facility. The way that CMS plans to uh, rank facilities um, 10% will be in the one-star category, 20% will be in two-star, 30% will be in three-star, 20% will be in four-star, and 10% will be in five-star. So you can see it's not possible for everyone to get five-star, even right. if everyone was perfect, which we kind of know they aren't. <laughs> but uh, there will be a distribution of the facilities in those uh, star categories. So if you look at it that way, um, 30% will be in the three-star category and uh, 20% in four-star and 10% in five-star. So that's 60% of the facilities will have the opportunity to be three stars or more. So if somebody who's in a two-star gets their act together, they can knock somebody up out of the four-star to go down. I mean, basically, it's like a piece of pie. So they're going to be shifted as they um, continue to, you know, uh, post these measures. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, The measures will only be, or the scores will only be updated annually. So once a year, the scores will be updated. 
and it'll be dependent on how the facility does on the measures they're using that previous year. So um, you you won't your score as of January is really based. Quite frankly, it's really based on how you did in 2013, not how you did in 2014. So the scores that are posted in 2015 are based on scores in 2013. So it's kind of a lag. Right. So the facility may have, the facility might have really addressed some of the issues that would have given them a higher score if it would have been real time. Right. Uh, the problem is we don't get the the information yeah. that quickly. Um, the information isn't available that quickly, so CMS can't have real time scores. And that that brings up an important point that it's really important to know how your facility is doing on those measures now versus how they did two years ago. And unfortunately, that's the lag time in getting the score posted. So if you're going to a facility and you see that it has a low star report, the first thing to do is to talk to the facility, the administrator, the nurses, the physician, and say, tell me about this and what are you, what have you done to improve this? So maybe we can go through a little bit about what they're measuring. And, you know, I was looking at some of the measures, like for instance, one is dialysis adequacy. Now, it's very important for a facility to prescribe for you to get dialysis adequacy, but patients have to show up for the treatment. So um, patients do play a role in some of these measures. Can we maybe go through those real quickly? Right. Um, the adequacy measures, um, the, it's both hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. So um, all, essentially most of the patients are included in that group. Uh, only patients that dialyze more than four times a week would be excluded from that group. And then also uh, pediatric patients are also considered so their adequacy. So that's, um, those are, um, you know, if you're in a, a facility that has a home program, your facility would both have a score for the hemodialysis and the peritoneal dialysis, where if you're in a center that doesn't have a home program, you wouldn't get a score for the for the peritoneal dialysis. And so, and it, it's it's just important for you to do all your treatments and stay for your treatment, not sign off early, because this impacts the score. Exactly. Uh, certainly, patients have an impact on the scores. Another uh, score that patients can have an impact on is calcium, because mm-hmm. um, the the expectation is that facilities will have the patients keep their calcium levels below 10.2. Calcium is believed to be part of the problem with uh, heart problems. So it's important that you maintain a lower calcium. And uh, calcium is influenced by diet. So um, the dietitian can work with patients to be sure that they have an appropriate diet to not have their calcium be too high. So that's another one of the measures. Um, Also included in the measures are vascular access. So whether you have a fistula that you're using for your primary method of vascular access or if you've had a central venous catheter for more than nine days. And um, certainly that patients have a control over that to a certain extent. Uh, sometimes patients uh, don't want to get a fistula because they don't want to be stuck, but the risk with a catheter are much greater for both infection and for complications that lead to patients dying. So certainly patients um, 
need to recognize the risk of the different kinds of vascular access. Yeah, catheters are so dangerous, aren't they, Glenda? I mean, it, you know, I don't think people, some of the people don't realize how dangerous they are. It's basically an open line to your heart. <laughs> And you can get an infection. You can get an infection and get sepsis, and basically that'll be an end game, wouldn't it? Exactly. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people will say, "Well, I've had a catheter for seven years, and I've never had an infection." Well, you are the exception to the rule because uh, by far, uh, the risk for infection are much, much greater, and the risk of death are much greater with if you have a central venous catheter. Because, as you said, it's an open line to the heart. Exactly. So it's it's not something you want to have. When we first started the Fistula First Initiative in 2002, uh, only 30% of the patients in the United States used fistulas. Now it's more than 65%. So there's been a lot of good work, and patients have done a good job of cooperating and recognizing the risk and trying to get um, an internal uh, vascular access. Well, and a couple of the other measures is, you know, they're measuring mortality of a facility and also hospitalizations. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we can play a role, I know, as a patient of, you know, getting my flu shot, doing, you know, all the different things I can to stay well, not going into a, a nursery school full of sick kids. <laughs> that might not be the best chance, you know. So what and can you do? when you are hospitalized, it's really important when you come back for your next treatment to be clear with the facility what your uh, post-dialysis weight was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that changes. Right. Um, and it's really important that they uh, have good communication between the hospital and the dialysis center, and the patient can play a real important part in that to be sure they get good information to take back to the dialysis center so they have the right information for the patient from, from the very first treatment after being in the hospital. I think I've survived kidney disease for 46 years because of the fact that I never assume that any of my healthcare professionals are getting any information, and I just make sure I'm the conduit. Because if you're sick, you're probably going to lose weight, and then your dry weight changes. And then if you go back to the clinic and they put the wrong dry weight or, you know, you're going to be fluid overloaded and ended back in the hospital again. So, um, you know, it's so important, like you said, to be that uh, bridge to help the healthcare professional know what's going on so that they can adequately assess your dry weight, which is a big reason for hospitalizations if you get fluid overloaded. Exactly. It's one of the major reasons people are hospitalized that are on dialysis. And I always tell patients, you're the only one that's always here. Right. So that, that you're going to hear everything, and it's really important. You know, I'm not saying that the hospital doesn't have a responsibility or the dialysis unit doesn't, but it's really important that the patient be involved in this and be the conduit, as you said. So there is a, a standardized rate for hospitalizations and for mortality, as you said. And then new this year for any of the measurement programs is a transfusion rate. And here CMS is concerned that patients um, are given an adequate amount of the drug that helps you to build red blood cells, uh, some people call it EPO, some people call it ESA or epigen, but it's an uh, artificial hormone that uh, really helps you manufacture red blood cells. And we've, you know, learned a lot through the years that we've had this drug that giving too much is not a good thing, uh, and so we have to be careful to not drive your blood count up too high with, uh, with that drug. But it's also important not to let you get too anemic because that means you get short of breath, you're not able to uh, be as 
active as you might want to be, and also you might have to have a blood transfusion. So CMS is going to be tracking the blood transfusions, and uh, facilities that have a high transfusion rate would get a lower uh, star rating. That's been a big change in the community in the last few years, and it's very important for you to be your own advocate and stay on top of everything. And, you know, sometimes you need a blood transfusion, but if a facility is keeping your hemoglobin too low and you're getting a lot of them, um, CMS is trying to to um, basically flag that. <laughs> right. And essentially what it, it's, you know, when the payment system changed and there was less um, Incentive, if you will, for facilities to give epigen because they used to be able to bill separately for it. Now it's included in the bundle, so giving more epigen means less profit, if you will, mm-hmm. if there is any left because the payment is really close to what it costs to provide the care. So CMS is concerned that some uh, facilities might give the bare minimum of epigen in some patients might have to be transfused because of that. So. When you have an infection, too, your hemoglobin drops, so that puts you more at risk for needing a blood transfusion. Exactly, exactly. And there are lots of reasons that maybe aren't related to your kidney disease mm-hmm. that might cause you to need a blood transfusion. If you had a, a, a stomach bleed for some reason, that could cause you to need a blood transfusion. I had one of those. Those aren't very fun. <laughs> you know, let me to tell you how many units of blood I got. Oh, I don't know. I got close to 11 units from a GI bleed. Wow. I know. It was, it, I've, I, I never knew you could bleed that quickly from a bleeding ulcer. With a little bit of heparin from dialysis, the floodgates open. And it was the scariest thing because um, I'll never forget it. It's the only happened to me once in my life, and I hope it never happens again. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was a very, very crazy time. Well, also, too, you know, um, we take a number of medications, and if your blood pressure, if you're not, you know, if you you need to work with your nephrologist if your blood pressure is not under control to be able to, you know, get the right medication and the right dry weight because that can lead to a hospitalization if your pressure is over 200. So um, there's so many factors into, you know, being your own advocate to help you know, get the best possible care and score. Exactly. Well, uh, let's talk, let's just switch a little bit and, and talk about, you know, what patients should do. You know, they're going to, uh, there's going to be a big announcement, you know, this month about this site. And I know that there's a little bit of, you know, facilities have so long to say, did they get the right information when they put the score up? And there's some different things being said. But what can a, what can a patient do? Maybe we could go through all the options or a family member if, if they're concerned. And I, I quite frankly think that you should always be concerned about quality, no matter if it's a five-star or a one-star. You always have to be your own advocate. Well, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I certainly am glad we can encourage patients to take that attitude as well. So um, when the first of all, as I mentioned, or very at the very start, the dialysis facility compare website is already up and working, and it has a lot of information about individual facilities. All the facilities in the whole country are listed there, so you can look at any of them. Mm-hmm. And now this will be added to that report, so the star rating will be added to the dialysis facility compare or compare rather compare report. So you can go in and. Um, but once the report is posted, you can go in and look at it. If you are in a facility, let's say that you're in a facility that's a two-star facility, 
then I would say that your uh, immediate action would be to look at the scores on the individual measures, because uh, you can see that, and then to go to your facility the next time you're there and let them know that you want to talk to somebody about the STAR rating. And the you should know that the facilities were not given any kind of opportunity to comment on this system when it was established, so they feel like they kind of got this imposed on them without any warning. And um, they were not given uh, really an opportunity to change, to submit additional data. They were, uh, the information was based on their outcomes that were collected over time. And so uh, this particular STAR report, again, a lot of people feel like uh, they were um, almost like um, caught unawares, so they weren't really ready for this sort of report. So there may be a little bit of defensiveness from the facility about it, and um, so don't put, be put off by that. But to essentially say, you know, I, I just am interested to know, you know, what this is based on and what you think about it and if you're doing anything different so that your rating will improve. And, you know, not uh, accusatory or not in an offensive kind of way or aggressive way, but just as an, a matter of interest. So, and again, you could talk to any of the staff. Um, I would say to direct it to a nurse or the physician, the social worker, or the dietitian. Not so much the patient care technicians because they're not involved at the level that you um, would have that information. Well, and for instance, if, you know, if the facility has a, a calcium rating that's, you know, lower, you, you can talk to the dietitian about that. How can I help? How can I, I mean, the facility gives you medication for that, but we also have a role in eating the right foods. If your, you know, blood pressure is out of control or there's a lot of hospitalizations because of something, maybe it's a, to talk to the nurse or the doctor. And, you know, just get engaged. I'm somebody who always took my lab printouts. And whenever I, you know, I always gave a copy to my nurse or my dietitian or my doctor, like this is what's going on, and then talk about that particular information with the right healthcare professional. Because we really need to be focused on ourselves and not the whole facility. <laughs> it gets overwhelming. <laughs> You know, you should recognize, too, as a patient, that it's the score, the, the five-star rating system, is not based on an individual patient. It's right. based on all the patients together. And so, absolutely, each patient counts in it, but if almost all the patients are doing uh, well with calcium, say, then the facility probably got a good score on that part. And each one of these measures doesn't get a star system. They're combined together to have that five star. But when you look at the score for each individual measure, you can see if the facility is performing as well as the rest of the country on that measure. That was just a great explanation, Glenda. You get five stars. <laughs> On that explanation, okay? <laughs> and also, I wanted to talk a little bit about the ESRD networks because we're going to post both, both website styles, this facility compare, and the ESRD network forum where, you know, if you have a problem with your facility, if you're not getting the information, can you just tell us a little bit about the ESRD networks? Well, the, the, it, there are 18 networks. Um, CMS, uh, it's a contractor for CMS. So each of the networks 
is a private business that contracts with CMS to deliver certain services. And those services include an advocate for patients in dialysis facilities. They also include helping the facilities improve the quality of care that they deliver. So you can see that contacting the network would be a good thing because they both want to, uh, they're responsible for explaining to you as a patient how things go, if you will, and they're also responsible for helping the facility improve the quality of care that they deliver. And each network has a patient representative that can talk to a patient and and help them, um, you know, understand this. So we're going to have a link to the the national U.S. map, and then on there you click on your state, and it'll take you to your local network, and you can call them Monday through Friday and get any information you need if um, if if you care to get more engaged and have a question. Absolutely. Each network is required to have a patient services coordinator. They have a social worker that's on staff, and then they also have patients that work sometimes as paid staff and some as volunteers. And it's a great resource for them to be able to find more information. So Absolutely. Well, Glenda, I have to tell you that, um, you know, I think you did just an incredible job explaining this. I've been following this, and I hope that our, our listeners, you know, uh, you know, be engaged, inform, learn what's going on. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful because, uh, you know, I've been in this, you know, I've had kidney disease since 1968. And I know that we always have to be our own advocate and get the best care, no matter what the system is. If you're in the hospital, if you're seeing a doctor, you have to be your own advocate. So this will help patients be more aware. So thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Lori. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.